So if you're note takers, uh, so far, so good. The screens are working today. It's only funny if you were here on Christmas Eve. And uh, yeah. so here's a main idea for today, just a prayer for 2020. Our focus as we end this year will determine how we begin the next year. A right place as followers of Jesus for us to focus is on our prayer life. So the end of the year, the beginning of the year, it's a unique time. A lot of times we're reflecting, right? We're looking back on how did 2019 go? Or even better, how do we want to see 2020 be different? People all over the place, people in, in Christians and otherwise, are reflective and are planning, are setting goals. What if we were to ask ourselves, okay, how do we want to live in 2020 as it relates to our faith? How do we want to, to press in making our faith a priority? We look at things like, how do we want to spend our time? How do we want to spend our money? How do we want to use our resources? How do we want to use the gifts that God has given us? What do we want to accomplish? As we do that, let's ask ourselves, how much more do we want to pray? Where do we want to find ourselves studying scripture? As we set goals, do we set a goal like, like how often do I want to come to church in the next year? How, where do I want to serve in the coming year? Do we, do we establish things that are around our faith as well? And before we answer those, or before you say, oh, you know what, I gotta, I gotta do that. I'm gonna commit to X amount of weeks in church. Let me say this, the place that we begin to, to plan and prepare, the place where we, we look to say, okay, in 2020, I want this to be different, or this was, <clears throat> this was great, or this was not great in 2019, but I want it to be this in 2020. The place to start for that is not setting random ideas, but it's in prayer. So the psalmist David writes this, this prayer, Psalm 144. We're going to read through it today. We're going to work ourselves through it. But he writes this, preparing for war in his nation. Now, I'm, I'm hoping, and by all things I think, that's not us, right? I hope. Can't watch the news without hearing about a North Korean bomb or something else, right? So, but I don't think that's us. I think that we need to see this in a different way. And so let me open up with this verse one and two. Let's do this. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for wars and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. About a year and a half ago, um, I decided right after turning 48 years old that what should I do that year? And I decided, okay, I'm going to take on my first martial arts competition ever. Brilliant as a 48-year-old, by the way, <laughs> just as a thought. So uh, I, I, I had challenged myself at 47. I had run a half marathon. By the way, I hate running. If I'm running, police are chasing me. I promise you, all right? <laughs> I'm saying, all right? I did it. I achieved it. I said, okay, cool. I'm going to do it 48. Well, let's take on this. Uh, let's, let's take on this competition. And I trained for it over the summer. I mean, I've got some great folks in here, Rob and Scott and others that we had to train with. And so that's always fun. But as you guys know, Pastor Vinny, who's now pastoring a church in Idaho, uh, he and I have been good friends for a long time. And he is uh, probably without exception, one of the most thoughtful guys I know. And so that morning, I was getting ready. It's a Saturday morning. You know, I've been cutting weight and just trying to get down into a, a place where I'm not fighting guys bigger than me. And, and I already knew I was going to give up age. 
And I didn't want to give up weight and size too. And, and so, okay, so I'm here I am, I'm prepped, I'm ready. All the training is done. You're going to go and compete. And that morning, here's what I get from Pastor Vinny. I get these words. Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. And so I've had this verse close to my heart because of a, a time that I can relate to. And you guys are all going to ask later, so I'm going to say it all at once. Yes, I won that day. It was great. Okay? It, it isn't that big of a deal, but I will say this, because so, you're all going to ask me if I don't say that. So, but it wasn't that. It was that moment where, where I got these words, and it resonated in my heart from a good friend just saying, hey, listen, man, here's my prayer for you today. It's not about winning or losing. It's competition. It's kind of dumb, right? As much value as we place on football and love for teams and who wins and who doesn't win, it's not that important, especially with how bad the Cowboys are doing. It's just not that important, right? So win or lose, there was this knowledge of knowing that, that God is with me as I do this. And, and this is a community. The martial arts community is, is a community I'm intentional about reaching with my faith. There's not a lot of Christians there. Some great people, not a lot of Christians. And so Pastor Vinny knows this, and he sends this psalm to me, and I, I have loved this psalm ever since. And so I was thinking through this week, like, really, where do we want to be as we close up the year, as we begin a new year? What do we want to talk about? Isaiah 51, kind of following up there, is leading into a whole new series where it's, taught, it's, it's talking about the crucifixion. So I'm like, okay, continuing on in Isaiah, just, let's just park there. We're going to start a brand new series next week. I don't want to start that today. And I just didn't know. And throughout the week, I've been praying and reading and looking at ideas. And then Saturday morning, I wake up. I read this psalm. I'm like, that's it. This is where I want to spend our time today. And so, no, I don't think we're preparing for war. And no, I don't think we're competing with our hands against someone else. But in each of our lives, right here, right now, we're fighting a battle against something. Right? Some of us have lost loved ones. We're fighting against grief. Some of us are struggling in relationships. We're fighting for that relationship, right? Some of us are struggling to raise kids. We're, we're fighting to see them, to grow up and never know a day apart from Jesus or never know the pain caused by the stupid things we've done. Maybe we're fighting battles of depression, illness, uh, all kinds of things. So we, we all have battles in our life. And so as we look at this, yes, David is writing about going to war. He's literally saying, God, I've been training my hands and let my hands and my fingers be strong. Subdue my enemy under me. But for us, we just have to ask ourselves, what are the fights we are fighting? So I want to read this again. I want to think through this lens today. So blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues people under me. So note that after David praying, that God would help him train, that God would strengthen his hands, train his hands, train his fingers, subdue his enemies under him. Notice that David circles back in the middle of that, Noting that God is his strength, his shield, his deliverer. If you're a note taker, let me put this up on the screen for you. 
God prepares us, then works through us. David's prayer is about training and his hands, training and his hands for what in his training? I have no idea what I was thinking when I wrote that. Is about training his hands. There we go. Eliminate that word for what lies ahead. But he doesn't then go and do his trained best apart from God. The psalmist knows that his strength and success continually rely on God, not on his abilities alone. So David's a man who is trained for war, right? David is a great warrior, hero, and king, right? He is a profound warrior and army leader. So that's him. He trains this. This is where he is solid and strong. So he prays, God, train my hands, train my fingers, subdue my enemies under me. But he continually circles back knowing that he doesn't do his training and his prayer up front and then go out in his own strength to go do what God has called him to do. And that's a lesson we can learn. Sometimes we pray up front, okay, God, get me ready for this, and then we go do it on our own. Or sometimes we go do it on our own, mess it up completely, come back and go, God, can you fix it? (laughs) Maybe there's a better way, right? Maybe there's a better way to approach 2020. As we prayerfully look to see what God has called us to do, and then we, got, we call God, okay, God, help me, train me, strengthen me, prepare me. And then, and then can we keep God with us in those moments? And I know God is always with us, but can we, in our heads and in our hearts, can we remember not to try and go out and do it, thinking because we prayed we're prepared? Hey, Matt, we're getting super echoey again. Any chance we can try that again? If you were here on Christmas Eve, it seems like every technological piece of equipment worked great all the way up until start time of service. <laughs> it's like, you know, you get ready with your, you're inviting all your family and friends over and you're cooking and you're doing everything. You got the house all cleaned up. And then like five minutes before everybody gets there, you burn something and the dog does something in your living room you shouldn't have done, right? <laughs> That's how Christmas Eve technologically went for us. And so, man, God bless our team that works hard back there. Uh, but we're still trying to dial in some things like that. Verse 3, Psalm 144. O Lord, what is man that you regard him? Or the son of man that you think of him? Have you ever considered, and I looked this number up. I know I said this in my prayer earlier, but I looked this number up yesterday. I, you know, Google's a wonderful theological resource. But um, <laughs> how many people are alive in the world today? And there's over 7 billion. Like we're creeping up on 8 billion people right now on the, on the planet. Then I ask the question, like, how many people have ever lived? And then you get into a great big scientific debate on how old the earth is and everything else. And I thought, okay, good. So seven-something billion people are alive today. That's what we can kind of look at and agree on. Have you ever considered that out of all those seven and a half billion people, that God would want to talk to you? That God would want to be in relationship with you, Right? Whether you think of a president or a billionaire or a rock star or a something, we see people online that have millions of followers that are popular for whatever reason, good or bad, popular for whatever reason. And we look at them and we know that if we message them on Instagram, we're not going to hear back unless they've got somebody who does that for them, right? Because they're busy, they're doing things, they're being popular, whatever that means. But God then like dwarfs them and yet wants to talk to you, wants to hear your prayers, wants to be in a relationship with you, that, that relationship where he is your God and you are his servant. 
Even better, that you are his child. We're called children of God, sons and daughters of God. So if you've ever asked the question, why would God want to hear from me? Just a side note, if you think it's because you're so cool, we should have a different conversation, all right? <laughs> but if you've ever asked that question and landed on, like, how would God ever want to? There, the Bible is replete with answers of how deeply God loves you. We just read this one in Isaiah 44. Well, it says this, thus says the Lord, your redeemer who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. There's two things in that passage right there. God, our redeemer, God who works in our lives, God who wants to know us, God who formed us in the womb with purpose and intention. He's also the God who spoke the heavens into being. There's the magnitude of who God is, and then there's the personal, I want to be your God, not just God. We should know that when we think about prayer. When we think about praying, we shouldn't think of some religious activity or some personal spiritual discipline. We should think about the fact that we have an audience with the most powerful person being God on the planet or beyond the planet. Right? If, if we had an, an ability, and just pick a popular person, be it like you know, Kanye's been in the news a lot lately for the new album and the change, we hope, of heart. Like, I don't care if Kanye had changed or not changed. If he, if he was going to give me an hour, I'd go hang out just to hang out, right? Like, I would. I would just, I would, any popular, like, I would just, as, as a pastor, I would just want to learn, like, what makes that person tick Right or wrong, God is so much greater. God desires our an endless amount of time with you. God desires that time. God has said, if you pray to me, not only do I hear, but I answer. Like that he will respond. It's not just sending off some, some direct message, right? And hoping that someone will maybe see it or maybe respond or like it. But God desires this conversation with us. Verse 3, it says this. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Reminding us how vast and how great this question is. And then says this, verse 4. Man is like a breath, his days are like a passing shadow. It's a new thought for the psalmist. It's not the same idea. He's not reinforcing what is man that you're mindful of him. He's no, he knows that God is mindful of each one of us. But now in that, he's reminded that humanity, all our lives, are short. All our lives are brief. He, brief. he says this, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Now, I, I can tell you this. Whether you have a, a long life, you live you know, well over 100 years, if that's you, Great. Uh, with as much pain as I'm in at 50, I'm not sure I want that, but great. You have a nice long life, wonderful. If you should die early, same thing applies, but this isn't aimed at that. It's just whether you live a, a short time or a long time, in the end, our life is like a breath. The gospel authors talk about, and Jesus in the gospels talk about when Jesus says, your, your life is like a blade of grass that grows and then withers. Like it happens so fast, and when you're, when you're caught up in the minutia of things, it, it feels overwhelming, it feels big, and then you look back, and, and, and you're, man, this really went quickly. 
If you've ever raised kids, you look back and you go, wow, where'd all the time go? And so there's a couple things I know, man. Life flies by faster than you can imagine. And the second thing would be this, if you don't approach life strategically, you will not achieve what you need to achieve out of life. Rare is the person who like hits the lottery and, well, for, okay, rare is the person who hits the lottery, right? Even rare is the person who hits the lottery and has all the time and the money in the world and does good with it, does well, right? We've seen money ruin people. There's no strategy to it or values to it. If you're not strategic with your faith, you won't grow. If you're not strategic with your time, you won't accomplish what you need. If you're not strategic in your finances, you will never have enough or never have what you need. If you're not strategic in raising your kids, they will not get what they need from you. Consider that whether you have kids, don't have kids, whether you've raised kids, or whether you're hoping to raise them in the future. Rare is the person who does well without aiming at it. Verse five, he says, bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. So again, David is trained to fight. David is a trained warrior. Yes, he's king, but he is a trained fighter, right? And yet he is saying, God, will you come down and fight? It's like this. I've spent a lot of years becoming a teacher, right? A lot of years in school even more years studying on my own, now moving on to pursuing a doctorate that seems like it's an endless process. This is what I do. I've been doing this every week for over 15 years, most of them doing multiple services back to back to back. And yet my most prayerful days are Sunday mornings. <laughs> then I get up and pray every day, but on Sunday mornings, I'm praying for this. And on my drive in, I'm not listening to the radio, I'm praying. Because no matter how prepared or educated or trained or anything, I know one thing for sure, if God is not with me in this, it's not good. You may be thinking, well, God's with you now, but it's still not all that great. But just <laughs> bear with me, right? I know the difference. I know when God is, when God is in it and, and when I'm not listening. So if David can train himself and be successful at war, if for at any level I can train myself and be any good at this, and, and both David and I both know, listen, no matter how hard you train, you need God in that moment. How much more do you need God in your life? How much more do you need God in the things that are hard? How much more do we need God in the things that we aren't trained for? How much more do we need God in our faith, in our family, in our finances, in our time, in our resources, in everything that God has given us? How much more do we need in, in our sharing of the gospel with our loved ones who don't know Jesus yet? If David can train for war and still know this is where he needs God the most, we need to do that too. Verse 7, he says, stretch out your hand. David says to God, stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. This war metaphor for us, for him it's war. 
And he is praying this prayer, and he has captured this prayer. David was obviously a prolific journaler. As he writes down so much for us, he captures so many of his prayers, so much of his lament, so much of his worship. He captures this for us. He is writing right before going into battle, we believe, against the Philistines at this point. As he does this, he pens this prayer out. And so for him, it's really war. But for us, we need to see life as a battle anyhow. The author Paul of of many of the letters, but as he writes to Ephesians, says, listen, you're in a spiritual battle. You have a spiritual enemy in Satan. You have one who wants to steal your faith from you. Though Jesus has secured your faith, he still wants to steal it from you. He wants to take your joy for today. He wants to stumble you and trip you. He wants to defeat you. Even if Jesus is promised, he won't defeat you, that, that Jesus will raise you up on the last day with him. Still, that's what the enemy wants. And so this, this idea of a war, this idea of a battle, that we battle through things day by day. If you've ever struggled with any kind of an addiction, you know what a battle feels like in your life. Something you can't see, something you can't touch, and yet you feel it and it is real. Our spiritual life, our time, our goals, our focuses, sins that we're trying to overcome, family dynamics, relationships, all these things are a battle. And as we read these words, we immediately see ourselves in this. We have an enemy, whether the enemy is addiction, whether the enemy is ourself. Maybe we're very self-destructive. Maybe our addiction, maybe our problems are caused by us. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's the enemy, Satan himself. But we have a battle. We have an enemy. So if you're a note taker, David prays for God to fight his battles. How do we need God to fight for us? What plagued us in 2019 that we want God to destroy? What enemies await us in 2020? Prayers like this sound more like engaging a war and less like reading a shopping list. Prayers ever just feel like a shopping list of things? Hey God, I need a job. Hey God, heal my wife. Hey God, there's more month than money, right? Hey God, I'm struggling with my kid. How how did they just... Sometimes just feel like a list of things we're reading off to God. We'll talk about this when we cover prayer in the coming weeks, but let it sound more like a prayer engaging a battle than it does just a shopping list. David's heart pours out to God in this moment. Verse 9, he says, I will sing a new song to you, O God, upon a ten-stringed harp I will play to you who gives victory to kings, who rescues David and his servant from the cruel sword. By the way, this is a challenge for the band. I'd like to see a 10-string something or other, anything you guys got. Where does David go immediately? So David is praying before a battle. David's saying, train me well and then go with me. And then he's like, well, you know what? In fact, instead of that, how about God, you just do it, right? How about you bow the heavens down? How about you route your arrows? How about God, you just do it? I'll just try and stay out of your way, God. You fight my battle. And then immediately he turns and says, and I will worship you. I will sing to you a new song. It's like this. I will have a new act of God, a new faithfulness of God that I can sing a new song about. Where do we turn when we pray, when we battle, when we struggle, when we see an enemy in our life, be it ourselves, a thing, a person, 
Do we turn to prayer? Do we turn to worship? You guys have heard me say this a thousand times. So many times people show up, they'll come in a little bit late, they really kind of slide in right around announcement time, they stick around for a message and then bounce right before worship at the end. Does the God that you've come to pray to, does the God that you've come to ask speak to you, does he not deserve your worship? Does he not deserve you to stick around and go, you know what, God, you're it. You're what matters. You're what's right. Win, lose, or draw in this battle, you're God and I'm not. And your will be done. And God, you are good no matter what. Even in the midst of the storm, and I don't know how it's good, God, you're good. And God, you are faithful. In the, in the midst of my battle, in the, in, in the struggle and my pain, God, you are good. And you are deserving of my worship even if I lose this fight. David turns to worship. If prayer is our battle, worship is our victory. And God is deserving of our worship. Verse 11, the re rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a hand of falsehood. So if we know we can do nothing from God, if we, if we just admit that up front, okay, we can do nothing apart from God. Let me ask it different. Let me just kind of a follow-up question. Knowing we can do nothing apart from God, where are the particular things? Or just in your mind, be thinking, what are the battles you see coming for 2020? You see, the gospel is, is a lot of, the, the gospel is so simple in its, in its essence, but it is profound in its implication, right? That God created you and loves you and designed you and called you to be worshipers of him. But in our sin, we've all rebelled from God. We've all said, okay, God, I know you created me. I know you know better than I do, but I'm going to go my own way anyhow, right? That's what sin is. Sin is why we're in this battle. Sin is, sin is why we have pain. Sin is why we have death in the world. Not just our sin, but the global sin of all humanity piling up. And then we get in and, and we add to it. And there we find ourselves in the midst of a battle because of sin. But Jesus came and he lived a sinless life and he died that, 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 that death that we deserve that he did not. That vicarious payment for our sin laid in a grave to prove his death and then resurrected three days later. And it's that resurrection piece that oftentimes we miss where Paul says this, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ is resurrected. If, not, if Christ is not resurrected, then our preaching is in vain. Our belief, our faith is in vain. And here's why, because in the resurrection is where we find change, is where we find victory. Paul writes it to the Romans in this, Romans 8, he says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, what is it that you can't overcome? What is it that that spirit in you can't overcome on your behalf? Verse 12. I want to read these as application points in prayer and just challenge you to pray the coming year a different way. Verse 12. May our sons and their youth be like plants full grown and our daughters like corner pillars out of the structure of a palace. He talks about the children they are raising as he points forward and looks to them. He says this, so our children, here's our prayer. 
What are our prayers for our children growing up right now? Do we prioritize worldly success over spiritual maturity? Do we pray for the next generation to know and worship God better than we did? As I've had the opportunity to, uh, especially some of the pastor families I'm close to, Pastor Vinny's, Pastor Scott's, others, Pastor Rick's, uh, many that you guys know. As I've gotten to pray with them since their kids were young, my prayer has always been that they would never know a day apart from Christ. That they wouldn't go through the pain caused by the stupid things me and, and many of their parents did. That their parents would prioritize their faith over their, their physical future success. That putting them on sports that would take them out of church so that they can get a scholarship to go to college would take a backseat to training them in their faith. What are our prayers for our kids? He says, may our sons and their youth be like plants full-grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. Verse 13, may our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. He prays for the provision, and note that he prays for a community provision, not just his own. Here's a, a note for you. Our provision. How do we pray for our community, city, state, or even country? Are we too divided to see beyond the politics and seek God for the future of our nation? You can put in there too, the future of the world. We don't have to stop at our borders, right? But we have a struggle right now in our community, city, state, country, that we're so highly divided that our solutions have become political, which is the next part of it. Do our solutions come from our prayers or from our political outcomes? I promise you, no matter what team you play for, the next vote isn't going to fix it. This president re-elected, another president elected, I don't care how it goes, it will not fix us. We have a deep, deep spiritual need. Yes, I think one candidate can be better than another candidate. That's for a different day. But never will they take the place of Jesus. Our problems are spiritual. Our problems in America are spiritual. Our problems in the world are spiritual. Our prayers need to fight that fight. Verse 14, may our cattle be heavy with young suffering, no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Do we pray for future generations? Here's your next note. Do we pray knowing that life is a blessing from God not to be taken for granted? Can we pray huge prayers for our future, remembering as David prayed, may there be no cry of distress in our streets. Just Imagine with me, if you can, if the generations in the church today would treat our faith differently than the last three generations. If we would say that there's nothing more important than passing on our faith, and that there's nothing more important than passing on our faith to those we love. And that's been something absent from the church for the last three generations. You were either born into a denomination that was kind of based on your heritage or your history, or you were kind of grafted into a church, but really my faith is something personal and I keep it to myself. Or we just stop caring. What if our generation treated this differently and trained our children in their faith first and saw next generation and a next generation grow in their faith? How would our world be different? Would it not be significantly better? How do we pray for the future for future generations. We'll close with this, verse 15. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. 
Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. I think all of us would say yes if we said, do we want a more blessed 2020? No matter what that means to you. Do we want a more blessed 2020? Here's what David writes. Here's what God writes for us today. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. You want God's blessing? It starts in prayer. Let's pray. God, as we gather, as we we open your word, as we worship, as we pray, we know that blessing comes from you. I think we all readily admit, God, or at least a good, good majority of us, readily admit that no matter how well we're prepared, we can't do things without you. We try. We do. We do it all the time. I do it all the time. We need you to be present in everything. We need you to be present before we start planning. We need you to be present as we plan. We need you to be present in our prayers as we seek, as we ask, as we listen. We need you to be present in our actions. We need you to be present in our outcomes. God, would you fight our battles? Whatever our battle or our enemy might be, from pain and grief and depression to addiction, relationships, to future, to faith. Would you be in and fight for us? Let us have a 2020, let us have a next year where we grow deeper in our faith. May we see things through your eyes and may we be blessed in the way you would desire to bless your people. Jesus, this is all because of you. And so it's in your name we pray. Amen.